0: So in going back to the drawing board, my questions were, how can I ramp up the conflict? How can I ramp up the emotional tension? What does this story need in order to become bigger? This is Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award winning author of the kick ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers. And this is The Taylor Stevens Show with Steve Campbell, where we are kicking riding in the butt one word at a time.
1: Taylor, we just passed April Fool's Day. I'm wondering what wonderful pranks you pulled on your friends.
0: Oh, my most wonderful <sighs> prank was not pulling pranks on people. <laughs> oh my God, I hate April's Fools. I hate April's Fools. I hate practical jokes. I am. Um, Why? Part of it's because I'm a very little person. So I fall for stuff. I'm very gullible. <laughs> I fall for stuff very easily. But the other is it makes me so uncomfortable to see other people be embarrassed or to to be uncomfortable or to have bad things happen to them. And some Some pranks are funny because they're cute and nobody gets hurt and nobody gets their, you know, feels like a fool for it. It's just funny. I don't have so much of a problem with that. But when, you know, when people are being made, making fun of other people and getting a laugh at them, their expense for your joy to me just is not funny at all.
1: Well, then I'm not going to tell you what I did for April Fool's Day. So we're just going (laughs) to skip right over that and okay, we'll, we'll get to today's topic
0: all right
1: we're on episode two of our choosing which ideas to develop series and i think we need a more clever name for this series but we're kind of stuck with it now this episode the focus is going to be whether or not your idea can support the expected norms for the genre a- as an example if if i'm writing a thriller that i expect to be a big success, a New York Times bestselling thriller, it probably has to be more than 50,000 words. And if I'm writing a lighthearted mystery, it probably needs to be less than 100,000 words. So there are some expected norms uh, for each genre that we might write in. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So how, how do we determine, how do we learn what those norms are?
0: Well, for word count itself, I mean, you can Google, and there'll be lots of information out there where people will, you know, it's out there. Agents and editors kind of just have a normal, you know, this is sort of what we're looking for, and they have their reasons for why they do it. Um, but as far as other norms, this is why it really helps to be versed um, in the genre that you're writing in. Because let's use thrillers, for example, since that's what I do. That's what I do. Um, you cannot have a thriller without lots of, oh, my God, what's happening? How are they going to get out of it? Uh, and fights. And, and um, I mean, you can have it without the physical fighting, but there's, there's usually always death and destruction and bombs and the end of the world. And whether it's the end of a person's world or the world, um, it's, those are just expectations for that genre. If, if it's not full of thrills, it's not a thriller. And you're not going to have a mystery Without somebody trying to figure out what happened or who done it. And you're not going to have a hard boiled detective story without a hard boiled detective. And you're not going to have a science fiction story without the fiction and the science. <laughs> so um, there are just, you know, epic fantasies, for example, are expected to run very, very long and have lots and lots of words and lots and lots of world building. So, if you write a fantasy and there's no epicness to it, then there's no epic fantasy, so generally speaking, people who read a lot in a particular genre are going to be far more familiar with those expectations than somebody who comes to it cold so that's why they always say that you should read a lot and
1: there are There are genres and subgenres and subgenres of the subgenres, especially in mysteries and i I, I focus on mysteries only because I, I have read so many over my lifetime. And, you know, we've got the hard-boiled mystery. We've got the PI mystery. We've got the female sleuth. We've got the the cozy mystery. We've got the cooking mystery. We've got the dog mystery. And they've all got their own expectations, their own reader expectations. And if you, you know, if you write a dog mystery... Uh, where there's a lot of swearing and sex, it's not going to be wildly popular right. because dog mystery people are cozy mystery people in it, general.
0: Yes, exactly. That's a very, very good way of putting it. And, um, you know, sometimes you have books that come along that don't neatly fit into a genre. The Informationist, the Vanessa Michael Monroe series, they don't neatly fit into the thriller genre. And I, I call them, um, you know, high octane character studies, but there's no there's no genre for that. And the reason for genre is because people are, you know, when you have something that you like to read, you're looking for more of it. And it's just so much easier to find what you're looking for when it fits into the, the slot, the, the pigeonhole of of. A genre. So there there are lots of stories that very, very popular stories that are either multiple genres or can't be pegged by a genre. But it's far easier to write what you're going to write if you have a, a primary genre in mind. Or as in my case, and I knew nothing about genre when I was writing the information as well, I was reading Jason Bourne and I wanted to write exciting books like Jason Bourne books. So, you know, I stumbled into it in that way. I didn't know I was writing a thriller, but that's kind of how they ended up getting classified. When you, when you know what the, the norm is for your genre in that sense, then it's a whole lot easier to look at your idea and go, all right, is this big enough? And, um, you know, we did get a reader question, and, which kind of prompted us on this path of answering and, and discussing this particular topic, where it was like, well, how do you avoid, you know, adding all this fluff into a story in order to make it 100,000 words or whatever. Because as, as the listener pointed out, you know, an editor's gonna see right through that if all you're doing is fluffing up a book. And so you know, just to, to backtrack a little, if you're fluffing up a book, your story is not big enough to fill that book. And so the question then becomes, well, how do you avoid the fluff and, and flesh out that story? And the answer, as oversimplistic as it might seem, is conflict. And the, whether you're writing a thriller or you're writing a very slow, um, place-oriented, place small-town um, saga, it is going to be the conflict between the characters that drives that story forward. Um, And that doesn't mean fighting. It can mean emotional conflict. It can mean, you know, past conflict that's trying to be resolved, something that gives the, the characters their drive and their emotional depth. And if all you're doing is having conversations that lead the story nowhere, it's because that conflict within the characters and between the characters is missing, whereas you know, let's use that as, as an example, that conversation. If you're having long conversations between the characters, well, if there's conflict in that conversation where they're, you know, the the yin and the yang and, and one person's trying to get something from the other or, you know, it's all passive aggressive, well, then all of a sudden those conversations are no longer fluff. They are actually part of the story and part of the world building that is driving that story forward.
1: Now, one of the things that I didn't understand when I first... Started down this path of of writing was the idea of conflict. You know, we we read about it all the time, we hear about it all the time. But in my mind, in my mind, it was different than what you described. I always, when I read, conflict was obvious. You know, Bob is chasing Tom with a stick and wants to beat him over the head with the stick, or Tom is chasing Bob and wants to shoot him. That's that's what I saw as conflict, and I didn't really get the way emotional conflict can also keep you turning the pages because I in my own mind as a reader I'm just thinking I want to see what's going to happen but I didn't see that as conflict because it wasn't a physical conflict
0: right so the way that you can sort of best see that sort of conflict is a tug of war between the opposing wants and desires of the characters
1: And I'm actually picturing that in my mind right now, and that's a really good way of of putting it. I guess I can actually write that down when I'm editing this. I don't have to write it down while we're talking, do I, since I'm going to listen to this again. (laughs) (laughs) And so like a real tug-of-war, in one chapter, one side may be winning, and in the other chapter, the other side may be winning. And I guess that, that can propel a story forward.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, you already know as the writer who is your antagonist and who's your protagonist. And the readers are going to have, you know, feelings one way or the other towards these characters where they're going to want to see one person get what they want. They're going to want somebody to see them want to see another character get their just desserts. And sometimes, you know, that that level of conflict can be multiple uh, multiple layers in, in multiple avenues, um, throughout the story where it's not just one person, it's, it's multiple people that you want to see either suffer or win, but all of that, that tug of war between the desires and getting or not getting that is all conflict.
1: All right. Now let's, let's use an example. Let's use a specific example of something that I happen to know that you have been working on. And we've talked about it in the past, a, a, uh, a a story that you have in development and some of the early work that you did on it, you sent off to some people and they felt like it wasn't quite right. And you amped it up in, in the second treatment, I guess I'll use a movie term, the second treatment <laughs> since you sent out an email a, a week or so or a few weeks ago about m- movie stuff. Um, let, let's talk about that for a little bit. What, what did you actually do to amp, to amp it up?
0: Well, In in the case of this particular idea that we're talking about, um, for me, ideas take a long time to develop. I spend typically half the time that I'm writing one book also thinking about the next book. So it gives me a long time to develop that ebb and flow between the characters and what's really driving the story and where that source of conflict is coming from. And I didn't, excuse me, I didn't do that for this particular story. I did it very rushed. And so... You know, it's no surprise that the early, earlier attempts fell flat. But in those attempts, there were some, some aspects that were definitely worth saving. So when I went back to the drawing board, I'm looking at it going, well, there's not, it's too linear. There's not enough conflict. There's not enough question marks of whose motivations where, you know, there's multiple characters who have multiple motivations and there wasn't enough. It was just too easy. So in going back to the drawing board, my questions were, how can I ramp up the conflict? How can I ramp up the emotional tension? What does this story need in order to become bigger? And that's that's not in any way
1: shape or form adding conflict to add words. That's making the story better or or as you just described making the story bigger because you didn't have a you didn't have a 50,000 word novel, you just had an idea.
0: Yeah, I, just an idea. And um, so sometimes it takes a lot of massaging to make that idea work. But by the time it's finished and it's in words, there's not going to be any fluff. Um, I te- have a tendency to write too many words and I have to cut them down to begin with. But it is going to be the essence of the conflict between the characters. And every single scene that we see, every single um, aspect of the story is either conflict between the characters or conflict with an outside source that they don't understand and multiple characters, every character has, um, what they want. And it's, they're, they're fighting the other characters, not necessarily physically fighting, but it, it's all entwined. And that's one thing that is really easy to lose sight of when you're, you have a hundred thousand words is that everything has to be connected. You can't have throwaway things that you put in there just to randomly fill the space like if if character A has an interaction with character B it has to mean more for the story than just whatever information is coming in that somehow everything rolls back in on itself like a spiral that connects at the very end and so that's how you eliminate all the fluff is looking and going all right i have this character he's in the story but he only shows up in scene 1 and yet he has a really uh, strong connection to this other character, so I've wasted. I've wasted that connection. Right now it's just a scene, but if I can find a way to integrate that, that character back into the story later at some point where it, there's like sort of an aha or, oh, that's why that was part of the story to begin with, then all of a sudden you've added a layer of depth. You've added a layer of conflict, and there's, you've eliminated any potential fluff.
1: So, I mean, you do a lot of hard thinking before you actually start writing. How often do you reach the point where you go, oh, yeah, I did have this character early on here, and I can use him again in the final third of the book to really tie up some loose ends and, and make the story sing?
0: all the time <laughs> it's, it's constant because you know just because you've thought the story through doesn't mean you've written it and you are finished with it. And so much of this comes out in in the process of writing it comes out in thinking about it as you're writing it it comes about through subsequent drafts so um you know starting out with it is great but you don't have to be chained to the idea you you allow it to grow and morph and sometimes you'll go back through and you go you know this scene was really good, but this character, you know, there's too much information about the character. It gives it more, it gives a feeling that the character is more important to the story than he is. So there's sort of this expectation that he'll show up again. So I can actually cut that scene down, maybe even remove the character's name, remove his backstory and just make it a quick exchange. And all of a sudden the fluff to that piece is gone too, because now it doesn't have to tie in later in the story as well.
1: Wow, this is almost like learning to kick your writing in the butt by eliminating one word at at a time. (laughs) Yes,
0: Yes, eliminating is a big part of kicking writing in the butt. That is true. All right,
1: that is it for this episode. The third part of the series is going to be maximizing the value of your idea, and that will be next Tuesday. So I hope you will join us then. In the meantime, Taylor, since we flubbed so badly on the call to action in the last episode, I know that you have developed a great idea for the call to action in this episode.
0: Oh, yes. Totally, Steve. I hate you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know... uh, I would I would I love interacting with people on social media. I'm really, really bad about social media, but I am on Facebook and I am on Twitter. And the more people interact with me, the more I'm actually present to interact with others. So if you'd like to see me there more often, then come chat with me and ask me questions and and interact with me and and I will be there back in your in your uh, feed.
1: And I will give you one warning if if you're going to do this on Facebook. Taylor has two profiles. One is for Taylor the author, and that's the one where she interacts with people. And the other is for Taylor the person. And if you say something there, she will completely ignore you.
0: No, I won't. (laughs) (laughs) What happens is is when you're on Facebook um, and you're on your author page then you don't actually see what's going on and you have to actually manually switch over to the other side. And since all of my interaction is on my page, the Taylor Stevens comma author page, I forget to go back over and look and see what's going on. I don't ignore people. It's just that that's not where I am most of the time.
1: All right. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad that you clarified that because when you said no, that wasn't the case, then I thought maybe you were just ignoring me.
0: Oh, never, never, never.
1: All right. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening.
0: See you next week, guys. Bye.